0: You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but to some, it is merely fiction. Join our conversations as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show or to contact us directly, visit us online www.betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com Welcome back, listener, to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. You're listening to episode 38, and I'm glad that you're joining us. And as always, I'm glad that Matt and Nathan Van Horn are joining us as well. And Nathan, I, I've been giving you a little bit of um, a little bit of trouble lately. If, if you've listened to the podcast for you know, maybe two or three weeks. You know that there's this this ongoing battle between me and Nathan about who gets to do the episode segues into the topic. And lately, it's it's been me. But Nathan, I think we can come to an understanding this I mean, week. Um,
1: I mean, when you're the sound man, then ultimately you get to decide every week. So <laughs> that's I'm just, right. I, I'm just grateful that you don't edit me out altogether. <laughs> I expected to be AI by now. <laughs> I'm glad you remembered me.
2: (laughs) Uh, That's good.
0: Nathan, there we go. Back on top. Which is an apt segue because today we're talking about remembering. Maybe not remembering in the sense of forgetting something like I do sometimes. A a different kind of remembering.
2: So with that
0: being said, what material are we covering today?
2: uh, Looking at uh, Genesis chapter 8. One through five. All right. So if you were listening last episode, I
0: weaseled my way out of reading when we were only on (laughs) one verse. So guess what? Now it's on one of y'all. Man, it's only five
2: verses. I'll take it. So reading from the ESV and beginning in chapter eight and verse number one, it says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the water had abated, and in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day, of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat and the waters continued to abate until the 10th month In the 10th month on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen.
0: All right. So first of all, I want to point out that it says the seventh month on the 17th day of the month. That's actually eerily close to when we're recording right now. I don't know if that was that plan or <laughs> different calendar. Because reco- oh, okay. Cause we're recording this on July 19th. I didn't know if that was, oh, that is true.
2: Yeah. But yeah, it's a different calendar. It's when when calendar.
1: we say that, when we say that there's a plan for the podcast, that is not what we mean. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh goodness.
0: I I love this where where we t- we joked about it in the segue part of of the episode, but it's like God remembered Noah, and I loved I love that terminology because growing up as a kid, I always thought about like because like when you're growing up, the term remembered is normally in the context of forgetting something and then trying to fix it real quick, like your mom told you take that chicken out of the freezer, defrost it, and then you remember as she's pulling in. That's why I always think of like God remembering. He's like, okay,
2: good. I, Check that off the list. I flooded the earth. So there's oh I'm I, I remembering Noah. No, I forgot right. about Noah. So there's another part of the Bible. The So at the end of end of Micah, and also in, in Hebrews, when the Bible talks about God remembering our lawless acts no more. So mm. when we talk about that, and that's a question I get as a, a pastor, is like, so does God just like forget, or he can't pull it up or what's going on here. So when we read the word remembered, we only think of it typically in the context of some kind of uh, memory exercise. However, we think of it, we think of it as recall. Yeah. As recall. Yeah. However, it rather in many places, sometimes it does mean recall in the scripture. But in many places, it's a demonstration of covenant fidelity that when, for instance, God chooses not to remember our sins, it's a way of saying, I'm not holding this you to account over these things. It's not like some form of God's omniscience is deleted. No, it's God is making a covenant choice here. And I think that's what we're seeing here in chapter eight and verse one. Um,
1: That's interesting that you mentioned covenant fidelity with regard to remembrance, um, because it's precisely at the end of this chapter, starting with um, chapter eight, verse 20 and flowing into chapter nine, that you have the scene that sets up the first use of the word covenant in scripture. Uh, And so remembrance does biblically have a kind of a covenantal context to it. In fact, When I was working on my dissertation, my professor made me read uh, a dissertation on this by Bart Box. I think he wrote his uh, dissertation in New Orleans in 1967. And the dissertation title was The Role of Memory in the Faith of Israel. And essentially it argued that you have God who's actively giving remembrance to his people at these key places. Like he remembers Noah here. He remembers Joseph, when he's in Egypt, That's he right. remembers uh-huh. his promises to the patriarchs when the Israelites uh, are crying out uh, in their oppression in Egypt. Uh, but because of that, Israel uh, was to set up um, objects. You see this in Joshua, right? Objects uh, that, that are a lasting testimony to help them remember uh, what God had done in, in the story and history of
2: their people. And um, I think also so here, it's a key thing of when did God remember Noah and not just Noah, but all the beasts and the livestock that were with him on the ark? So this is not just any point in the story. This is right after God has completely wiped the earth clean.
1: Yeah, and i, so, I wanted to I wanted to piggyback on that because for yeah. me, it's like you said. Often when we think of memory, we think of, you know, that binary mental switch off on, can I recall it or can I not? Do I have the Jeopardy answer or not? Um, I, I think memory here and, and biblically on the whole um, has, a, has a much more experiential connotation. Like if, if you've ever walked through trauma, maybe it's a, a, a relational breakup or the loss of a friendship, the loss of a job. Um, or if you've dealt with chronic illness, um, mm. when you live in the thick of that, it can be hard to remember life any other way. Does that make sense? Right. Like I, I think of I think of the movie Waterworld, uh, which is an apt illustration. I think <laughs> I'll vote for myself. Um, but you know, I think of Kevin Costner's line in that movie: "Dry land is not a myth. I have seen it." Um, They all, on the one hand, they all know that the earth had not been covered within the context of the movie. They know that the earth had not always been covered in water, but it's been so long since they've seen land that the idea of land not covered by water feels like a made up idea. Uh, Hmm. Does that make sense? I mean, can, can, can we imagine how traumatic, how traumatic, not just how traumatic for Noah and his family, how traumatic for God? Uh, I don't Again, I don't want to infringe on the immutable, impassable stuff, um, but this it says God's heart was grieved by human sin. Uh, God's mm. not delighting in this. This is a hard reset for creation.
2: And speaking of just God's faithfulness to continue to be faithful to his people, a, a very personal example of this is that in 2018, my son passed away and our world came crashing down. It's just like you start to question lots of things like, why has this happened? This is very difficult. Um, lots of Lots of sleepless nights, so on and so forth. And just when things were starting to get better, and not that you ever get over it, but starting to get better and God was reestablishing us, that he had, for instance, he had us where we wanted to, he wanted us to be here where we live in Tupelo. Um, my wife was diagnosed with cancer and that was, I remember feeling like, man, the earth is now crashing. Everything's crashing down again. Like Lord, I I know you've brought me here to Tupelo and now my son has died. And it seemed like, even through that because people were so good to us and God cared for us so tenderly here in Tupelo when all of that happened. But here we were with cancer and I I remember where where I was in the doctor's office when we were meeting with the surgeon and talking about the cancer that she had and the kind of procedure that she was going to need. And he said one line and that line was, you know, this procedure that's done, And this way is the only place in Mississippi where this can be done. And I cannot tell you the overwhelming sense of believing that despite all the devastation of the cancer in our life, that we had been remembered. That comment from that doctor of like, hey, this is bad, but you know what? You're in a good place because this is the only place around here that does that. And I I think I can relate to that moment a little bit to what's going on here with Noah. It doesn't undo the devastation, but it's that realization of, oh, even though it seemed like the wheels had come off and the story had stopped, the story is still going forward. And you know what? God's still committed to his people. So that's just a real life example for me.
1: Yeah. And to your point, even though God told Noah to build the ark and to load the animals, he didn't tell him how long he'd be on this thing. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying. Uh, and so, um, again, when you're going through trauma, uh, just from my own limited pastoral experience, um, when you're going through trauma, there's there's the sense of uh, is, is God not mindful of our plight? You know, has God forgotten about us? Or on the other side of trauma, I know for a lot of people, even when things restore or they get to you know they experience good things. There's this ongoing thing where they're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, like, when when is, okay, I've, I've seen how bad it can get. This feels good, but good makes me nervous now. When are things going to go horribly wrong again? And I, I think that's one of the reasons. I, I don't just want to get the theological reasons. I want to get the theopractical reasons. I think that's part of why we have so much in this passage that we talked about last week that's hearkening back to creation and forward to the exodus. You know, um, this, this interesting, is interesting.
2: We mentioned Flavius Josephus a couple of weeks ago, and Gandalf and I were looking at that together, and it talks about, according to Josephus, that there was a hesitation for the people to leave the mountains and go down into the valleys. Yeah. That after they disembarked off the ark, that nobody wanted to go back down off the mountain. Because I it's mean, like. I mean, can you blame them? Yeah. Can you. It, it, you know, like how that all fits together, you know, where those Noah's descendants and, you know, we know that God spoke to Noah. Did he speak to the rest of them? Is this just Noah saying, no, listen, I promise you God's in control. Uh, you know, who knows, but there is a, there's that sense of like, man, once something happens, when's the next shoe going to drop?
0: Well, yeah, you're talking and ca- about how, um, how, and ca- like not even Noah here, it doesn't like, God never tells him here's how long it's going to rain. Here's how long the floods going to be. Cause we see him in future verses that we'll cover later that he's like having to send out birds and stuff to try and figure out
2: when's right. this going to end. So
0: he, from
1: time to get Noah's off,
2: perspective, yeah. why hey, couldn't just God just said, there? hey, God, you shut the door. God, why didn't you just say, okay, it's time to get off now. Why does Noah have to even send out the birds? Like, I, I don't know. This is it's just the way God works. But just whether it's through birds or whether it's through providential statement that God remembered but, but Noah. but I mean
1: you, you do get um you do get that aspect of ha- having to wait on the lord uh, no oh, sure. noah's noah's not like okay the water's receding let's backstroke out of here right like right. their their salvation was the boat <laughs> and right. just like you know just like God waited uh for human repentance that never came by and large now now humanity the small remnant of humanity is is waiting on the lord for for it to be okay to get off the boat um, right. and, and, you know, Matt, kind of like what you said about uh, Josephus reminded, you know, about um, future generations being nervous to, to go down from the mountain. I don't want to steal our thunder before we get there, but it reminds us of what we read in Babel and some of those extra biblical sources that they wanted to build
2: a mountain that could not be submerged. Right. You can live um, in the valley because, look, we have a tall mountain we can all flee to.
1: Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, we'll we'll deal with all that when we get there. But uh, listeners, Keep, keep hearing those hints that point, on the one hand, back to creation and forward to the Exodus. Because creation is the good God who makes everything good. And you see so much concern um, in chapter 8 um, uh, about that, especially in the verses we'll look at next week. Uh, but you're also pointing forward to the Exodus. Again, traditionally, the, the author of this stuff is not Adam and Noah. The human agent is Moses. And so, when they hear about waters and preserving life, they're thinking of their experience in Egypt. When they hear the language of God remembering, they're you know they're wanting God to remember His promises to the patriarchs, the way that He uh, remembers uh, His dealings with Noah, so that He'll get them out of Egypt. Um, And and, again, you 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 have to the biblical language is not accidental there. Um, it's precisely in that covenantal context, like Matt's saying, this is not something that God has forgotten. This is God giving active attention uh, to showing how he is going to work.
2: Yes, and it and it shows the kind of faithfulness that God exhibits, uh, remind, reminding what Paul says in Timothy, that even when we're faithless, he remains faithful, that why didn't God just restart? Why didn't God just restart and start with a whole new race of human beings? Because uh, we're going to see in a few chapters that Noah's family certainly didn't have their act together. Why did God not do that? Well, God is being faithful to what he started. in the. Be- it's, it's like, even though things get bad, God never lets the original intention fly completely off the rails. God is going to establish a people on the earth for his glory, and even though that looks like that that dream is dead in chapter 7, it's really not, because God is hitting a miniature restart to Eden in some ways in chapter 8. Uh, this, this reminds me,
1: and this is the very covenantal image, by the way, uh, this reminds me of Jeremiah 18, uh, when Jeremiah has the vision um, where the Lord tells him to go down to the potter's house. Oh, yeah. Um, and Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house and he sees the potter working at his wheel and he was making this vessel of clay and and the vessel was spoiled. And importantly, two things happen. Uh, well, something happens, but something doesn't happen. Um, he doesn't throw the material away. He fashions a new vessel from the same material.
2: Do you remember, Uh, were you at that chapel at Mississippi college all those years ago? when dr steve glaze oh yes wheel do you remember that i remember that like yesterday where Um, he was in front of all of us and there was there was a rag inside of the the vessel he was making it beautiful and all of a sudden it just explodes and goes everywhere and then he reveals that there was a rag inside of what he was making and then he goes around. He picks up all the pieces, and then he makes it into something beautiful. All yeah, over again. that's a,
1: that's a that was a great object lesson. By the way, I'm for uh, by way of confession, I'm glad that you asked about a cha- chapel session that I was that I went to rather than not <laughs> going to.
0: <laughs> not Nathan Van Horn. Say it isn't so. I'm
1: being facetious, folks. I love any, any opportunity I get to worship God.
0: Uh, well, I should certainly hope so. Okay, so. We, we're talking about how we see this word remembered, and that's kind of uh, setting us up for covenant language, which is going to be immensely important later on. And I think in this exact same verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, I see a, another setup because I'm seeing here it says, And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided. That is not the last time we're going to see water specifically being abated by, method, by the method of wind. Yeah, mm.
2: it's the, amazing and, when you look at the Bible how often the wind comes to the rescue. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you know what? It's kind of God is basically the OG Captain Planet here because, like, what are we, we've got—the wind, <laughs> we've got Earth, <laughs> we've got water—and because mean, it's God, is,
1: you've got heart. You've got uh, heart,
0: <laughs> and then eventually we'll get we'll get to the fire part eventually. Oh yeah, but, well um, played,
1: well played. <laughs> yes. um, uh, yeah. So it is interesting to me again back. Back to creation, forward to the Exodus. Um, This is right after 724, where the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. And then what happens? God makes a wind. Uh, By the way, the word for wind there is ruach. It's the same word for the spirit of the waters that's mentioned in Genesis 1-2, right? Uh, Darkness was upon the faces of the watery depths, but the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Well, here, the waters prevailed because God has... He stopped holding them back. He stopped separating. So both from above and below, they prevail over creation. And then now God causes a ruach, a spirit, a wind to blow over the earth. And what happens? Once again, the waters subside. They're separated. Um, And by the end of the verses we read, dry land begins to emerge. I think that's it. Um, Is there any significance here to,
0: in verse four, it talks about the 17th month on the 17th day of the month is there any significance to like all the all these sevens because i know is that like a reference to eden the creation week and all that
1: I, well i definitely think seventh uh, I, I i don't know how to deeply read into 17th so much but seventh um seventh does tend to be significant um especially you know when noah uh, in uh, next week's passage will send out the birds uh, he'll wait seven days in between right um the bigger thing for me is the fact that again I don't want to beat the dead horse of apologetics but it's it's interesting to me that this this is one of the key stories people go to for made-up fictional myths in in the Old Testament in the Bible and it, this this story has had more chronological markers about how things developed than anything we've seen so far and most of what we'll see afterward, like you won't again, you won't get chronological details and markers like this until the Exodus. That's huge. Um, and and so, man, if if they understood themselves to be to to be speaking in purely mythic language, why include all of these details on timing, uh,
2: correct things like that? Um, so, Gandalf, these. These are not just Easter eggs thrown in just to have something fun. It's it's being told as if the story really happened. It's that, therefore, the calendar markers are there. And I think that was one of the things that C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien, when they were discussing this, is that Tolkien pointed out to Lewis of just saying, hey, you know, the Bible is similar to the myth's, But it also is unlike the myths. For instance, you read about real places. You read about real historical events. You read about real time. And that's uncommon when it comes to a lot of the ancient myths. So I think this is something like the whole calendar thing that separates the flood story from the others. That separates it from the, you know, the Epic of Gilgamesh. Uh, Because when you're reading the Epic of Gilgamesh, it's like, man, I'm reading a myth. But when you're reading the Bible, even though it is definitely supernatural story, it reads as if though it's happening or that it happened. And I think what Nathan's saying is just one of those reminders here that they are telling this story as if it happened. Mm -hmm. Even even
0: down to telling you how long it rained and how long it took for the waters to leave and how long for...
2: You know, birds to come back, things like right. that. It's pretty cool. Right, and also uh, we we talked about this a while back, but down in verse four, and the ark came to rest. Remember, this is the same word that is used oh. that when God. Now, it's it's a it's a play on words for Noah's name, Nathan. You were reminding us that earlier. Yeah. But this whole idea that that this word is used to rest the ark on the mountain. And it's the same word that was used when Adam was placed in the garden. So think of it in this way. You've got this covenant word at the beginning in chapter eight, verse one, that God remembered Noah, a a statement of covenant fidelity that God has bound himself to humanity. And now this has been rested on a mountain of all places. And he has now rested the ark that contains the man and the animals on this mountain. And so I think it's a demonstration here of it's not just connecting forward to the Exodus. It's connecting back and saying what God began in Eden is still being stuck to. God is seeing this through.
1: Yeah, God has not... it's some, It's saying something about God that He's not throwing away their materials. Um, so I think of and and gosh, I should have a citation if I'm going to use it. Um, but like when we get to Abraham, you have a rabbinic source that says um, it's essentially got God um, reflecting on what He's going to do and what's going to happen because He knows. Um, and God says, "Okay, I'm going to make, I'm going to make creation, and I'm going to make Adam the person to steward it." And when Adam messes up, I'm going to stick to that same agenda. But this time I'll work through Abraham. (laughs) Uh, In other words, God, even when the people change, the plan doesn't. You see what I'm saying? Like the, the plan is, in other words, a lot of times we reduce the Bible to just the story of God and man. But the Bible always has a broader creational scope of activity. And God works through mankind precisely as his image bearer. Not in isolation, but in integration with the whole of what God has made. When we have some of those key passages uh, on the hereafter, uh, they don't just envision the salvation of mankind going to heaven. They, they envision the redemption of all creation. You see this in uh, Romans 8, for example. You certainly see this in Revelation 21 and 22. It's God saving someone to steward all the rest of it, right? Right? Uh, And again, that 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 yes goes back to Adam, but it also goes forward uh, to Israel in Egypt uh, because he'll set them free. He will save them. That's where salvation deliverance language enters the biblical story. But when they get to Sinai, what does he tell them? You guys are going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In other words, through what I am doing for you, a lot is going to be done for a whole lot more people.
2: It's also interesting. It makes me think a little bit about Jesus here. And I think I mentioned it when we were doing our pre-conversation. Is that at the second coming, uh, I'm thinking of Zechariah here, that Jesus will place his feet down on the Mount of Olives, or even Acts one. The same Jesus, the the way he left is going to be the way he returns. That his feet are going to come down on the mountain, and then that is going to be the going to be ultimately the initiation of. God making all things new and how that all fits together. We're not going to deal with here, but at the return of
1: Christ. And there was no longer any sea.
2: Yeah. No, no more disaster to, to do this. So the whole idea that, you know, Noah's feet or the ark is coming down on the mountain and resting that at some point, the feet of Jesus, also the man of the covenant, uh, but in a completely, uh, different sense, even though there's a similarity, there's a all-encompassing thing with Jesus as all creation is made new. Of when He puts His feet on the mountain, it's like the new Adam, the new Eden will return. So I think this is a a a echo forward to what's coming, and that one day the the man is going to put His feet down on the mountain, and all creation will be made new. Mm.
0: that's going to be a fantastic episode when we get there in 20 years <laughs> when we start talking about that towards the end oh, gosh. well we talked about the significance of seven days but there's also another significance to seven days as it pertains to this podcast and that is that's how long it's going to be until a new episode comes out which you will only be notified of if you like and subscribe <laughs> the podcast so if you are not please be sure to do that and we will see you back here every Tuesday morning uh, for another episode of the Better and Fiction Bible Podcast. And until then, you guys have a great week. All right. See you later. Shalom. Excellent. All right. I'm stopping. I'm sending out a Dove.